Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. Hello, everybody. As you fall into our live chat right now on our official YouTube channel. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much. If you are listening to us on a audio broadcast, we really do appreciate it, but we'd rather have you here with us live in the chat where everybody else is piling in. I see a lot of familiar faces coming in. Thank you very much. And uh, if this is your first time, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button that you see right there so uh, you can come back for more and more episodes. But you know what? This is the episode. This is a historic episode for us. It's episode 100. And uh, Vic Chalfont, our producer, uh, and I, and uh, the rest of the RGA, Federica, uh, the Rat, and uh, Robbie, and Scotty, and everybody that's in the RGA, thank you very much for helping and supporting through all those 100 episodes. So, welcome to In the Trenches. Out of all those episodes I was just talking about, this might be our most controversial one yet. But why? It shouldn't be. I mean, after all, we've had Jordan Peterson on the podcast before. But that dreaded C word, you know the C word I'm talking about, that has changed our entire way of life for almost two years now. Um, that has definitely led to some polarizing opinions. But I wanted to give our audience, I wanted to give our audience that is made up of a lot of rock and rollers, but you're not just rock and rollers, as um, our guest will tell you today. Your fathers, your mothers, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, uncles, um, you get the point. Um, you who are audiences, I wanted to give you more than just opinions. Um, I wanted to give you facts, all right? And who better than to talk about facts than regarding this pandemic that we've been through than our guest today? He's American epidemiologist, I did practice that word and still said it wrong, damn it, <laughs> epidemiologist, a director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research, and also a member of the U.S. COVID-19 Advisory Board. So while there are many out there on the internet who claim to know how to manage the pandemic, why not listen to a doctor that has been spending most of his life studying infectious diseases and... Uh, knows a thing or two about this one. Would you please welcome into the trenches, Dr. Michael Osterholm. Hello, Mike. Hi, well, thank you very much for having me. Hello to you. It's a real honor to be with you here today. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, there's a lot to pack in in a short amount. So I just appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule. I see you all over the place. Um, I see you on pretty much every network that's out there, but what I really am, I, I listen to you weekly on your own podcast, which is The Update uh, with Dr. Osterholm. So you told me before the show, because uh, the host of your show and the, I guess the co-creator or, or co-guy with you is Chris, um, he calls you Mike and I ask you, should I call you doctor? Should I call you Oster, Dr. Michael Osterholm? And he goes, call me Mike. So hello, Mike. Thank you. Uh, 
Well, we are going to get into that uh, dreaded C word, if we have, but uh, we like to go back a little bit before we do and uh, go back to get forward because you have a history of studying these infectious diseases, and I'm going to go back even further than that. So let's go back to get forward. (laughs) Now, when was the last time you had a motorcycle introduction? (laughs) Um, you came from Iowa. Uh, you're born in Iowa, and you you came up from uh, rather poor conditions, and you've been able to really, really succeed. Almost the American dream, if you will. Yeah, you know, I um, I'm very lucky. I, I was the oldest of six kids. My father was an alcoholic who. Uh, is a very violent man, and so I spent the better part of my upbringing trying to protect my brothers and sisters from from him um, and my mother. Uh, yeah, we had poor conditions, but you know, I was the luckiest guy in the world because I had so many people over the course of my lifetime who've invested in me. Sometimes I look at them and wonder why. Uh, you know, they put a lot out there for me. So, you know, I think that old line too much has been given, much is expected, and so. From my perspective, uh, I owe much more than I ever, ever had to pay. And uh, I feel very lucky to be here. I'm great to be with you. Uh, you know, you're an incredibly important voice to a, a really important audience. And so, you know, this is one of those examples where, uh, you know, I'm in your debt to be here with you today, not the other way around. That's the thing I am always uh, reminded of when I listen to your podcast Um and I'm just talking to you now, is that, and you say it a lot, the word humility. You have a lot of humility. You're the first person to admit that you don't know it all, um, and you wish you did. And for some reason, this pandemic, you're saying, is is confusing you more now than it might have six months ago. Yeah, you know, I uh, there are two things that happen to me every morning when I get up. Uh, the first thing is I wake up and I hear this old 1960s Fifth Dimension tune in my head playing. Do you remember the old Dawning of the Age of Aquarius? Of course. Except this one's playing. This is the Dawning of the Age of the Variants. When the new variants developed and came out uh, and, and became front and center, uh, we realized it was fundamentally changing a number of the issues related to the pandemic and how this virus was spread and what it means. The second thing that happens, I, I, I look over to the, my nightstand and I look at my crystal ball there and I realize somehow overnight, five inches of caked mud have accumulated on that <laughs> crystal ball. So every morning I have to scrape the damn mud off just so I can even start to go. And some days I'm not sure how well I do that. So, you know, I start each day like that. So in fact, for your audience's sake, as you've heard me say in my podcast, uh, I think I knew more about the virus six months ago than I do today. And so I think all we can do is just be honest and share what we know, what we don't know, and and realize that we're today part of what I call evolving science, where we study, we learn, we implement, then we study again, we learn and we implement. And we're, you know, we're basically building this plane at 30,000 feet while it's flying. And we just have to make sure that the public understands what we know, what we don't know, and what, what we don't know, how we're trying to find out what we should know. Well, we're going to talk a lot about the actual COVID virus in a little bit, but I want to go back with your 
fascination with viruses back when Dawning of the Age of Aquarius was a song on the, I think it was the hair soundtrack. Am I, am I, am I right with I that? I think it was. I think, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> there you go, right there. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> How did you get that so quick, Vic? You're, yeah. You're, he's quick, our producer. You know what? After 100 <laughs> episodes, he's, he's even quicker than before. Um, yeah. But the thing is, this is back in the 60s, late 60s. What got you into studying infectious diseases? Well, you know, I uh, I had a, this is a part of that story I said where I owe a lot. Uh, at the news, the small town Iowa newspaper where my father worked, uh, the owners uh, were really truly Renaissance individuals, particularly uh, the wife of the editor, uh, who I think she was the only person in the state of Iowa back in the 1960s that subscribed to the New Yorker magazine. And one day when I was in junior high, she shared with me an article from there out of what was called the Annals of Medicine. A guy by the name of Burton Roger wrote these. And they were whodunit stories, kind of medical detective stories, largely at that time, the Communicable Disease Center as was called back then. You know, outbreaks that would occur in house, you know, people solved them. And I love these, I, you know, it was kind of a cross between Sherlock Holmes and modern medicine. And so every time that a new New Yorker would arrive, she would call me when they were done and I would run the six blocks to her house, couldn't wait to get it and I loved reading it. And so I even knew in high school, I wanted to be a medical detective. And uh, so my whole education process was really oriented to that. And I owe her everything for having gotten my interest in this area. And I just have to say one last thing that one of the most special moments of my life was the fact that uh, years later, when I was a state epidemiologist in charge of all infectious diseases for the state of Minnesota, um, we had a large outbreak in the state that ultimately ended up being written up as Burton Roger's very last annals of medicine before he died. And I had the opportunity some 20 years later to be able to share with him a sense of gratitude because, you know, I, I laid it out there and said, you know, frankly, had that inspired you, you, I wouldn't be here. Wow. And it was one of the most rewarding moments of my career to be able to look. And, and, you know, he, he, he was obviously very gracious and wonderful about that, but it was one of my ways of just being able to come back. I mean, it's like you, I mean, if you could go back to when you were a young boy into a teenage years, is there somebody in your life that has such a big impact that, you never had the chance to tell them, but now today you could. Well, it, it. and like you, I've been able to have a lot of those opportunities for a, to meet a lot of those posters on my yeah. wall. For you know, for instance, we just wrapped up a tour with the band Kiss, or not the band yep. Kiss, but Ace Frehley from Kiss. And Ace Frehley was one of my guitar heroes. So night after night, uh, we would isn't that would, great? Yeah, he would come up on stage with us and play "Schools Out." So um, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying about about your heroes. Yeah. So it's 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 cool to think that you know. I had uh, guitar heroes. You had science heroes. Yep, I did. <laughs> and uh, it, it eventually led you into Minnesota, where you are today, and that's the area um, where where you do most of your work. I know that um, the Center of for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. I see the uh, acronym for it is uh, CIDRAP. C-I-D-R-A-P. And I know that that's, uh, we're going to show the podcast uh, thumbnail right now so you can see, you can understand where that's from. But that's the podcast that uh, Mike does. 
and I, it's, it feels weird just saying Mike because I know you as Dr. Michael Osterholm, but that's the one that Mike does every single week. So we'll talk about that a little bit more um, later. But then um, you were initially doing a lot of studies on straight up influenza. Am I correct? Right. You know, I have spent uh, the last 45 years of my life literally dealing with influenza. And uh, the fact that if you go back for the uh, last 250 years, there have been 11 global pandemics of respiratory agent virus. And almost certainly all these were influenza. Uh, we have no evidence that one like a coronavirus appeared. And so I'd studied a lot about that. And in fact, uh, in 2017, along with my co-author, Mark Olshaker, wrote a book called Deadliest Enemies, Our War Against Killer Germs, in which we go into some detail about why we're so unprepared for another global pandemic of influenza. Well, it wasn't influenza, it was a coronavirus that showed up this time. And even there, we were concerned about it. Chapter 13, ironically, of that book is entitled SARS and MERS, A Harbinger of Things to Come. SARS and MERS were coronaviruses that appeared in 2003 and 2012, but never did result in full worldwide pandemics. So, you know, we, I could, you know, tell that this was going to be an event one day that we were so ill prepared for and uh, tried to lay out plans for what we would might do. But then of course, when it finally hit, um, you know, we, we wanted to, first of all, deny that it was happening. Second of all, once we recognized it, uh, you know, our responses have been fragmented, as you right. so appropriately said, they're really politicized. And this has been really tragic. Well, you know, unfortunately, like you said, we're building you're, we're building a plane that's that's in midair right now and, and trying to fly. And the only thing that you have we really have to go by as far as an airborne type of uh, pandemic type of thing is influenza. So are, right. does all that experience that you have uh, studying, learning about influenza, has that prepared you? Has that given you a lot of, uh, of more, you know, or are you always, you know, mystified by this Corona? Well, I, th I think that, you know, unfortunately uh, it did give us a sense initially of what was happening. Uh, for example, Back in on March 10th of 2020, uh, you know, I was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and uh, at that time, the number of deaths in the United States could be counted in two digits. And people still were of the mind that this was not going to really be anything; it was soon to be under control. Yeah. And I said at that time on the podcast, to the anger of many, that this was going to last at least 18 months, and it was likely at least 480,000 people would die. Well, I was wrong about the 480,000, actually 600,000 people died in those first 18 months. And so I had a sense that the implications would be huge. We knew, I, I, I have a whole section of my book talking about supply chains and how uh, a global pandemic today was gonna bring down much of our international trade and manufacturing shipment, et cetera, which now we're experiencing exactly that. So a lot of those things we could anticipate. But what we couldn't have anticipated is how this virus is acting that's different than a flu virus. If you look at those pandemics that we talked about, the two, the 11 of them during the 250 years, what happened is they would show up at any season. In fact, the 11 were distributed through all four seasons when they first showed up, not just in the winter. 
And what was very interesting about them is, is that they would have an initial wave and then a second wave, and in some cases, a third wave. But, but within two years, they just basically settled into being part of the seasonal flu picture so that you could expect to see in the Northern Hemisphere winter or the Southern Hemisphere winter, it would just show up. This coronavirus isn't doing that. This mm -hmm. one is continuing to burn wherever there's human wood to burn. And this is a real challenge. And, and we're realizing that, you know, as much as the vaccines are really remarkable tools and they're very, very important, they're not perfect. Not perfect. And we'll talk more about that. But the other point to make is, is that early on, we had this sense that if you got 70 or 80% of the population protected, it'd be enough to slow everything down. You couldn't keep, keep having big surges. Well, look what's happening as we speak right now. In Europe, where, Europe. where, where I'm Europe. actually recording right now, yeah. Exactly. I mean, here we're talking about countries that have over 80% of their population vaccinated, and they're still seeing the terrible, terrible challenges. As you see, Austria today just went in total lockdown, uh, etc. Even here in the United States, we're seeing major surges. I happen to sit right now in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where this past week we've had the highest incidence of cases in the whole country. And on top of it, if we were a country ourselves in Minnesota this week, we would have been the number 10th country in the world for this kind of, uh, uh, out of COVID situation. So it's a challenge right now that we didn't see with influenza. This one's going to go on for some time. So that, okay. Well, you are a numbers-based, numbers-driven guy. And um, I, I listened to it on the podcast Again, folks, we're going to talk about the, the, the update, the Michael Osterholm update that he has on YouTube. But you um, like to present the show, and I love the way the four, it's formatted. You always start mm -hmm. with a dedication, if you will, and then you go into a numbers phase. And you have a lot of numbers. And I'm an, I, I like numbers. I like to listen to it. It comforts, But a lot of times those numbers can be confusing, and it can be a little bit frustrating for people that are – you know, there, there's cynical people out there. They're like, well, where do you get your numbers from? So I guess for my first question about that and your show, where does all that data come from? Well, it comes from many different sources. First of all, again, I work with an incredible team at SIDRAP. You know, it's, it's like you. I mean, you're critical to this podcast, but let's admit you got some really critical people that work with you that make it. <laughs> the podcast that it turns out to be. That's true. I'm the same way. I am absolutely uh, the beneficiary of some really brilliant people. We are scouring the world all the time for data. So for example, if you listen to the one this past week, you heard me detail what was going on in Europe. Yes. And what was unfolding and how we've been following what started to be the major problem in Eastern Europe and how it basically now has affected Western Europe. And those are all numbers that are coming from the very sources themselves, the countries. You know, we're not going to the media. We're not going to, you know, potentially biased sources. We're just trying to get the best data we can. Yeah. Okay. You know, we might argue about a lot of things, but we're not going to argue about what the temperature is in Stockholm today. We pretty well know that we could all agree. That's what it and is. And that's, okay? that's the, the reason why I wanted you on the program, because you speak on your podcast. I mean, I know where you stand with vaccines. I know where you stand yeah, yeah, um, yeah. W with, with a lot of those issues, but when you're speaking the numbers, 
they don't, they're not lying. And the thing that's very interesting, and you're using use Europe a lot as sort of a, I don't want to use the word lab rat, but you we, we use Europe as a model as to what might happen in the U.S. Uh, come, you know, maybe a month or two later. And you're talking yeah. about countries in Europe that have a vaccination rate of like, for instance, the Netherlands, which is 68 percent, where not a lot of people know that it's only 58% of the U S that's fully vaccinated. I, I think if that's you just right. put that number out, people wouldn't really, they, they might believe it. They might not. Or where did you get that number from? But you're talking about a difference of, you know, 10% more in Europe. And yet they're still having these surges. Well, you know, even to take it one step further, Ryan, uh, right now we're following closely what's happening in Spain and Portugal. Two countries that have been 80, highly successful. Almost 80%? 80%. Yeah. And they're now starting to see upturns. And what it's really pointing out is that you can't run out the game clock on this virus. If you think, you know, it's going to finally go away, I made it through two and a half, whatever number of years without getting infected, this virus will find you. And I think that that's the challenge is that, you know, I'm not out here to try to make someone do something they don't want to do. Uh, I want just to give them the information and the opportunity to protect themselves, their lives, save their lives. And I think that uh, that to me is what this is all about. This isn't, you know, I would rather have a severe critic of me be vocal on the microphone criticizing me than being in a casket six feet underground. Yeah. You know, and so that's what this is really all about is just to try to save as many lives as possible. You say you say this on the podcast a lot. You say most people are done with the virus, but the virus is not done with them. And so it's not. And see, that's what's different about this virus versus the influenza pandemics. By now, we might have assumed that this would just become part of seasonal flu. And and what's yet to happen, for example, uh, I talked about this past week. Look at countries like India, only 30% of the population are vaccinated. Vietnam and Thailand, 30 some percent vaccinated. I can go around the world and right now they're seeing very little activity and people say, see, it's done, it's done. Well, let me just take a step back and say, Europe said that 10 weeks ago. The United States said that in June. You know, in fact, we had a 4th of July celebration, unfortunately, which was called independence from COVID. And, you know, no one wants to be the spoiler at the party. But as you know, from my podcast, I was saying back in June, please don't do that. We're not done. Some of the darkest days of the pandemic are still yet ahead of us. And it's not to say that to scare people out of their wits, it's to scare them into their wits. These are the things you need to do, getting vaccinated, et cetera. So I think that's just the message we continue with. So I'll tell you right now, this is not a popular notion. But New York City and L.A. have both missed out on the Delta surge, thankfully, okay? They've still not been hit hard. Yet, they have major pockets of under-vaccination. Places in both of those metropolitan areas where less than 50% of the populations are vaccinated. And they're going to see an explosion one day. You and I could be back on here and said, why are we surprised? And yet people are acting like it's over with and done. And so I think that's our message is how do we help people understand what yet is to come? 
I think the fatigue has set in for this this 18th months plus. Yeah. You know, when you take everything away at one point from from what people are used a livelihood, a lifestyle, you know, going to restaurants, going out to concerts, doing the, you know, and then and then it keeps on going. I think people are just really fatigued. But like you say, you're not trying to be the spoiler at the party. You're just trying to let people know the information and hopefully they'll do the right thing. Um, yep. There's a group of people out there that that's, that did do say though, like, why do case numbers matter? I mean, I, I was, and, and I'm a, like I said, I'm a fan uh, of Sagar and Crystal from, from Breaking Points. I, I listen to their podcast a lot as well. Um, and th- there was a, a thing on today saying, well, wh- why do the case numbers actually matter? Cause one, there's already a widely available free vaccine if people want to get it to the COVID uh, pill that is being applied for and for FDA approval, that's right there. And there's yep. a mono, monoclonal. Oh, I hate that. I can't say what Mon- you got it. You got it. Mon- you did, did I get it. it right? All right. You got it. You got it, man. You got it. <laughs> there's monoclonal, <laughs> monoclonal uh, antibodies and other types of therapies available. So in that, in those, in when you speak about things like that, is, does that just a light at the end of the tunnel, or why do case numbers matter? Well, first of all, let me just put it into perspective for the United States alone, okay? Um, if you look at the beginning of this Delta surge, when we saw all these cases take off, it was in late June, started. And since late June in the United States, despite having ample vaccine available, over 135,000 people have died. 135,000 people have died from COVID since June. All of them, or at least most of them, could have been highly preventable if they people had been vaccinated. And I think that that's the challenge we have is, you know, you don't want to be one day sitting there waiting for that, you know, to be intubated, stick the tube down your throat so you can't speak. And your last words are, I wish I had gotten vaccinated. And I think that's the challenge we have is, is that, you know, how do we help people understand what these vaccines mean and what they can do? As I've said many times, you've heard me say, they are remarkable tools. They're not perfect. They're remarkable. One of the things we're realizing now is that after six to eight months, you need a booster dose. Okay, so we're seeing breakthrough infections right now, but we know with a booster dose, you can restore your protection back to what it was six months ago. And so I think that that's just the message we're trying to get out. There should be no politics associated with these vaccines. I wish there wasn't. But I I, I wonder sometimes, because I can tell, like when I listen to you and now when we speak, not face to face, but when we speak virtually, that your heart is in the right place. You've got you've this is this is your life's work that's led up to this. You've studied this. You you have the experience. But sometimes I think your transparency and your honesty by honestly saying that if anybody says they know how this pandemic is going to pan out also has a bridge to sell you. I think I think that's what you say. Yeah, that's one of your go tos. You, you, you got that right. I do. You have that right. Yeah. The yeah. thing is. Does your honesty and transparency actually hurt the cause sometimes because we don't really know? Or can people just trust the fact that you guys, and when I say you guys, I mean science, you know, everything with technology is doing everything they can to end this pandemic? 
Well, you know, I, I first of all, I think it's a great question, and I actually uh, welcome this this kind of discussion because I think you know what is the right messaging. So, for example, uh, in August, in my podcast, I talked about this emerging challenge with breakthroughs. And I have said the entire time, these are remarkable tools, these vaccines, but they're not perfect. And so my whole message has been, we need to get on board and realize that these booster doses are gonna be important. And in fact, you know, when you think about this, uh, think about a, a, any other vaccine that might come forward for use in our, in our population, they usually take six, seven years of research before they have enough information to bring it to the Food and Drug Administration for review and approval. They ask questions, they answer them. They ask more questions, they answer them. They can answer the question, how long does protection last? Is it one year, five years? You know, we didn't have that luxury. We, when we put these vaccines together for this pandemic to save lives, we had two buckets of information we had to deal with. One was safety. If safety didn't work, nothing's gonna work, okay, it's done. But we were able to demonstrate early on how safe these vaccines are with hundreds of millions of people now vaccinated. But what we didn't understand is how best to use them. What, what are the things that we want to know for how many doses? With how should they be spaced out? You know, how much of a virus the vaccine should be in a dose? And we're learning that yet. So when I looked at what was happening in August and seeing now that people were out six months, they were starting to see this waning protection. That said to me, you know, this probably should have been a three dose vaccine all along for the mRNAs. It should be a two dose for the adeno all along. It's not a failure, we're just learning. And so I think that that's the part where I just try to be honest and say, this is what we know, this is what we don't know, this is what we're doing to find out. And, you know, that may turn some people off where they want absolute certainty. But, you know, the other hand, you know, you've seen me, I, I've not had to go back and say, oh, I told you X, it's not true. Because what I'll do is I'll tell you, this is what we know about X. You know, we know this, we know this, we're trying to figure it out. And hopefully that is a more credible position to take. You know, I've always believed two things. One is you got to talk to people at the same way in my little Iowa farm town. There's a little cafe on Main Street called the S&D Cafe. And at 10 o'clock every morning, there's a little coffee club that gets together there. And if I'm going to sell something, if I can't sell it at the 10 o'clock S&D Coffee Club, screw it. I'm done. I can't sell it anywhere. Okay. It won't play in Peoria or Broadway. So number one, you got to talk to people in a way that they can understand. Number two is when you tell them what you know and don't know, it just be honest. Just be honest and say, this is what we're trying to learn, how we're going to learn it. You know, people I think are more willing to stay with you and say, okay, you know, this is where it's at. So when I say, I don't know where this is gonna go. Actually, I do say, we're gonna have a lot more infection. Why we gotta get people vaccinated. We're gonna have more problems. So I think that one is, is just talking to people the way you and I are talking right now. And that's why you're so good at your podcast because you talk to people in a way that they can relate to, they can understand. And that's what I try to do. Well, I wanna get this Second information all, out to so to many people that, that are knowledgeable of it, but don't always have this honest of a discussion about it. And, you know, and part of it is, you know, you're a trusted voice. And, you know, that's the other part. You don't get that by doing a one podcast. You don't get that by being one time in the media. You know, it's how long you've been there. You know, I mean, frankly, I'm not suggesting, you know, I'm so damn smart because if you ask my kids, they'll tell you, well, sometimes <laughs> dad is a little bit okay. But the bottom line is the fact that when I said on Joe Rogan, on March 10th of 2020, there would be at least 480,000 deaths. 
and I just got speared. I mean, oh my gosh, did I get speared? Okay. Right. And when it turned out to be 600,000 deaths, then there was an element of credibility that said, well, maybe he kind of does know. Okay. Yeah. And even if I don't like what the hell he says, at least I can follow what he's been saying. I can track back. So I, I think that that's the part right now that I just think is so important. Tell it like it is, be honest, and tell it to people in a way that we can all have a discussion about it. Don't, don't, don't be a big shot. Just tell it like it is. Well, thank you very much, Mike. We are here on the podcast In the Trenches with Dr. Michael Osterholm. Um, we are going to come back. Um, we're going to do a really quick commercial about... Um, well, you're wearing glasses. I'm wearing readers. You know, I, we can. One of our sponsors. Yours don't do that, though. <laughs> they don't do that. And we're gonna find about the magic trick. I'll get you a pair, maybe after the after the podcast is over. And uh, we're gonna talk more about vaccines. We're gonna talk about booster shots, and we're gonna talk about um, uh, Mike's podcast, the Michael Michael Osterholm update as well. Um, we are doing all things in the trenches, but right now let's talk a little bit about Clicks Glasses. Are you ready, Vic? Do it. Hello, Roxy Guitar Army. For those of you that have been faithfully following the podcast, you may have noticed that I've been changing up my eyewear from week to week. And today we are happy to announce that Click Eyewear is now an official sponsor of the In the Trenches podcast. You've even given us a discount code that we can now pass on to all our supporters. Click has provided me with both readers and blue blocker protection eyewear that are durable, stylish, and convenient. So what sets them apart from the rest of the reader world? The catch is in the click. They are the world's first magnetic reader, which makes them hard to lose and even harder to break. If you're interested in getting a pair or two of your own, check out the discount link located in our description. Never lose your readers again, because with Click Eyewear, they're always around you. Now let's get back into the trenches and back to some more rock and roll. We are back now for uh, part two uh, of our discussion about uh, the dreaded C word. Because you know me, we actually started this podcast back when the pandemic hit. And we said one of the things we would avoid saying was that C word. But then guess what? When, when I have pretty much one of the... Uh, one of the most credible voices about it in the world come on our podcast. I think it's time for some open, honest discussion. And I know there's a lot of comments going on in the chat room. I appreciate all your uh, comments. We can put them up negative, positive. It doesn't matter right now. And please excuse the fun, negative, positive. I hope everything's negative in the testing sense, but I hope all your uh, comments are positive. But you know what? Everybody's entitled to their opinions. Here, hopefully we are talking about some facts. We are going to go get, get into some subjective uh, sort of uh, opinions right now because we are here with uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm. And we're going to talk about these uh, vaccines booster shots that are now becoming more widely available worldwide. Um, a lot of people, uh, when they first came out, thought of them as a luxury shot. Um, but now that's quickly changing and um, there's data to prove that. So can you tell us about uh, what you know at this point about booster shots and good idea, bad idea, doctor? Okay. Well, first of all, they're a very good idea. And they're part of this, what I call evolving science, what we've learned. So remember, if you had a, the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccines, you got two doses for dose one and day one, and then you got the second dose either three weeks or four weeks later. 
depending on which one you got. You have the J&J vaccine, you got one dose. And at the time, we needed to get these vaccines out. And so the studies that were done were really looking at what impact did having these two doses do in those first several months after getting vaccinated. And we learned that they were highly effective, but we never had the time to go ahead and look at what would be the protection at eight months or 10 months or 12 months, because frankly, we hadn't even had that time yet. And so as we've developed over time, this additional number of people who are now at eight months or 10 months post-dose, we're seeing they start to have these breakthroughs. Remember, there are a number of vaccines that we have today where it's a three-dose regimen right from the start, where you get dose one, you get dose two, maybe six months later, and dose three, sometimes a year later. And that basically is the maximum way to get the immune system to be most responsive. Um, you know, anybody who does athletic training, no, you don't train hard, hard, hard for five straight days, you know, and think you're going to be there. You know, you train over time to build your uh, your your capability. And so what we found with these vaccines, it's the same vaccine. You're just giving it additional dose later. And if I could kind of give you a, a, a visual sense, think of this kind of a like a little graph where after dose one, you get a little bump in your immune protection. Dose two, you get a bigger bump. Dose three, you get a heck of a bump. And I think that's what we're doing right now with these doses. So it's the same vaccine, nothing different, nothing, you know, the Moderna one is a slightly lower uh, dosage than was the original two, because we know that, that that we don't need as much of the of the vaccine to get the impact. But so I would just say they're not a luxury dose because what we find out is that you may be protected well in weeks, you know, uh, two months, four months, but when you start getting out six to eight months, that protection is going down. Right. And so now what you need to do is boost it way back up. And we believe that that will stay for some time. We'll continue to study that, but uh, we don't want people to have been protected for the first four months only to get severely ill in month eight. And now, we hope that this will really take care of that. Wouldn't there have been a group of people, test groups, of people that, you know, in order for the FDA to actually rush approve it the way they did, wouldn't there be people that would be perhaps six to eight months ahead of us? Because I can't believe that the American public was the first, first, first people to, to for this thing to be tested on. It had yeah. to have been tested with people month, a matter of months before, correct? Well, when you look at the studies that were done, they were done in the United States, they were done in other countries of the world. But again, to show protection, you can do that with even four or 500 people if the vaccines are highly effective. And that's what happened. And then we had to continue to accumulate safety data as well as early vaccines were rolled out. But where you had countries that started earlier, Israel is an example, they have had a tremendous impact on what we know about these vaccines because one, they started almost a month and a half earlier than we did. And number two, they have an incredible healthcare system where all the data can be quickly linked together so they can tell us on a moment's notice what was happening to people who were six months out. And the the bottom line was, is it was actually the UK, it was the United Kingdom that provided some of the very best early data. And uh, now, of course, we're seeing it in the United States. But so you're right, we, we weren't the first out of the chute. Uh, but now that we are out 10 months. Remember, we started vaccinated in January, largely, you know, December, January. And now we're out there. And so we can see what's happening. So get your booster shot. Please do. 
Well, I mean, that's the thing. People don't seem to have a problem year after year getting an influenza booster shot. They just call it the flu shot. Um, I'm wondering about the pushback as far as other pandemics before or even other vaccines before. It was was the For instance, because I don't know, this is more your field, but like polio vaccine or, you know, uh, measles vaccine, were, were these sort of vaccines that were uh, challenged and polarizing as much as this? Or why does, or why does it just seem for this yeah. to be so polarizing? I don't know. Well, you know, we have always had uh, a small group of what I would call vaccine hesitant or vaccine reluctant people who didn't want to get vaccines. Uh, this goes way back to the early work with smallpox of, of vaccines back in the 1800s. Maybe you can see the same thing happen there. And uh, what's happened, however, though, is, is, you know, as you and I have been talking, the body politic of the world has changed. I mean, here in the United States, uh, you know, look at what's happened with the division here in this country over so many issues, COVID, uh, issues of politics in general. And I think that what we are now up against is the disinformation that people are intentionally perpetrating about COVID for reasons I can't, you know, understand. You know, we know how these vaccines work, yet we have people that won't take them. We have clear and compelling data that shows that ivermectin, this anti-parasitic drug, is not helpful. It is not clinically helpful at all. And it's actually dangerous because of the toxicity of using these high doses of ivermectin. Yet we have people who are suing doctors in intensive care units right now because they want one of their loved ones to be treated with ivermectin and not the things that we know that work. Um, you know, I've never experienced a disconnect like that. And I have to acknowledge, I don't have an answer for how you change it, but right now we are, it's like trying to swim up Niagara Falls in many cases in, in groups that just oppose the reality of science. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's going to take time and people a lot smarter than me to figure out how do you change that. You talk, you break a lot of people, you break it into three groups. I think a lot on the, on the podcast, you've talked about a COVID conscious, the COVID hesitant, yep. and then the outright COVID hostile. And, and is there a way that we can get all three of those types of thinking, at least to look at, the data and or or have the data explained to them in such a way that that you can see because i i i have yeah. heard that story where it's a little bit too late for some people and they in the in the saddest thing is they say oh i wish i would have gotten this when they're yeah. lying on their deathbed i've heard those stories as well you know i i you're right i think the challenge i have with the vaccine uh you know adverse group i mean the people who are hostile is it's not just that they themselves won't get it, but they promote disinformation to keep others forgetting it. For example, one of the saddest things that can happen today is the kind of messaging that some people are putting out about pregnancy. We have incredible data showing how safe these vaccines are in pregnancy. We have unfortunate data showing how many pregnant women have died of COVID because the fact that the pregnancy itself predisposes you to having much more severe disease. Uh, we have had so many situations where late-term pregnancies, where people weren't vaccinated, the babies were taken by C-section from the mother, 
the mother dies and now the family now has this new baby and it's just a tragedy. And yeah, and many of these pregnant women will say, well, but I heard from so-and-so or so-and-so that if I get this, it'll kill my baby or it'll make me sterile or, you know, all these things. And this disinformation to me is something that, that I can't understand. It's, it, it's, you know, it's almost like trying to tell somebody, you know, yeah, just take this road right here. And if it appears that you're going off the edge of a cliff, don't worry, just keep driving and you go off the edge of a cliff. You know, how, how can you be so intentional to hurt people? And it, so that's the challenge I have. This is not about a debate or a discussion over data. This is true disinformation. Is there a website that either side, both sides, all three types of COVID uh, thinking types of mentality people can all agree on that's non-biased, non-political, non-religious, just, is there some sort of information center that you feel that you could recommend that say, if you want the actual facts and numbers, go here. Besides your podcast, because I know that you talk about those facts yeah, and numbers well, our weekly. Our website actually has extensive information on it. There's an entire whole section uh, on COVID-19 with just the latest information for which people can go and look at it themselves. You know, how do the studies get done? Uh, you know, what is the data that they show? Uh, you know, we've done several very major pieces on masking. You know, what can masks do? What don't they do? You know, in some cases, we've oversold masks as a way to protect for the kinds of masks that allow a lot of leakage, okay? On the other hand, some masks are high quality and really make a difference, but we've not distinguished that for the public. So on our website, we actually provide all of that information. And, and I think that that is uh, such an important issue but even there, Ryan, I would tell you that people who are spreading disinformation, that's not what they wanna do. I mean, if you go to our website right now, we are constantly being attacked by bots out there trying to shut us down hmm. for reasons we don't know why. Now people this is the C-I-D-R-A-P website, yep. right? And, and, the and so trying to provide the information you just said, and yet we have organizations that literally try to bomb our site uh, so that it can't be used by anybody. You know, now, how can you even begin to have a discussion when some people want to basically eliminate, not just edit, the information that might be available? So this is one of the challenges we have right now. I see. I see. Well, you know what? One thing they can't, well, bomb, and, and that's the uh, that's YouTube. All, all YouTube does is either shut shut us down. I was actually a little bit hesitant about this being on YouTube because I'm going, okay, we're going to be mentioning all those trigger words that uh, YouTube probably yep, yep. doesn't doesn't want to hear or they, you know, causes some sort of stir. So e either the video will get shut down or it'll be promoted in the algorithm. We shall see. Well, you know, we had that happen to us. Our, our podcast got taken off of Google in several episodes because of the fact that I talked about disinformation and I wasn't promoting it. I was addressing it you were just, but because yeah. the keyword got triggered in a, in an algorithm. We got, now they've restored them once they realized what was happening, but it was, it's a, it's a, it's a real challenge. I agree. Well, I'm talking about, People can go to your weekly uh, podcast, which is called the Ulster Home Report, the Ulster Home Update, COVID-19. Yeah. I know that uh, Chris Dahl uh, works it with you. He introduces it. Um, I love the yeah. fact, again, that you have a, a great type of flow to the podcast. You, you always start with a dedication. 
and then and then you nail us with some numbers, a lot of numbers, a lot of times. <laughs> then you take some letters from the uh, from the audience, and then then at the end of the day, you have a dedication or a song, a psalm, something that gives us some sort of positive hope. And I thought it was really great because I was I was telling you before the podcast that I um, thoroughly got into episode seventy seven, as it would be, and on that episode, you. Uh, you get you dedicated uh, Fleetwood Macs. Don't stop. And there you yep. go. Wow, Vic even got a picture of Fleetwood Mac on there. They're probably all vaccinated, I imagine. But uh, Doctor Ostom, what, what was the what what other what other types of uh, songs and and sort of uh, hopefulness do you uh, plan on giving and sharing in the coming weeks? You know, I I just look for ways to after going through all the numbers and reminding people that. These are our mothers, our fathers, our grandpa and grandmas, our brothers and our sisters, and even tragically, in some cases, our kids. And these numbers are more than just numbers. And so what I try to conclude with is some way to kind of help that particular day's podcast message in perspective, you know? Uh, and and so and I tend to look for uplifting things. Right now, things are really dark here in the upper Midwest and much of the United States and Europe. And so, uh, this week I used Rainbow Connection, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Kermit the Frog, yeah. huh? Are you sure? You know, well, he, he's off the hook this week. Big Bird's on Big Big Bird's on the uh, crucifix this week. Well, I dedicated <laughs> the podcast a week ago to Big Bird. You may recall because wow. of the fact of the model that he actually was for the kids getting vaccinated. Oh so, my God. so I did do that, but I, th- you know, as part of it is, it may sound corny, but I think I've heard from so many people that they like to leave on that note of, uh, you know, something more positive. So, so what I'm waiting for right now is the exact right Ryan Roxy song to use at the end. I will okay? send you a couple. You know what? This I, year, this year would be one. a good one. You're going to get them. You're going to get it, man. Okay. <laughs> That's great. I'll send you one after, you know what? Maybe, okay. maybe one of these other episodes where you start, you know, you start telling, telling it like it is. Well, you always tell it like it is, but maybe no more Mr. Nice guy. Huh? Because you are so nice. And it, it, Alice is no more Mr. Nice Guy would be funny. But I know in a yeah. recent episode, uh, three of the major points that you wanted to make, and I know that you, you, you make them a lot, is that we are still in this pandemic. Regardless of our fatigue, we are still in it. Vaccines are remarkable, but they're not perfect. You've got the safety down, but, but you're, still, you're still learning about the dosage and stuff. And, and we, and concerning this white, tail deer wow like thing we're in a black hole moment and 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 i want you to i want you to explain to our audience yeah, how, why yeah. you feel about this black hole because i don't know of a lot of people even know about the the white-tailed uh, deer data that's come out and why yeah, yeah. we should think we're in this black hole moment well you know what i i just have to say before i go on and i and i i surely don't want to sound uh whatever here but uh you, you do a really good job summarizing this. I need to bring you on our podcast to I be gladly. the voice of summary, okay? Gladly. So anyway, but the deer, uh, you know, and I've seen the questions posted here on the site as we've been talking is about the origin of this virus. And let me just be really clear that, you know, I'm not here to say that it didn't leak out of a lab in Wuhan, China, or that it did. Uh, uh, you know, we still we'll have to continue to to understand that better. But I can say with certain, it was not a man-made virus, and I can say for certain that it spilled out from animals, that the animals were the ultimate original source. What animals, we're not sure, 
we have some ideas. We know that bats, we can find a, a, a particular virus that's very close to what looks like it is this uh, situation uh, or what's caused this. But what we're concerned about, and we talked earlier about variants, these mutated viruses that occur when we in fact have transmission from human to human and a defective virus gets uh, uh, survives and it may turn out, oh my gosh, it's actually one that is much more transmissible. So the variants like the Delta one we have now have been a problem. What we didn't ever think about, what if we, as this virus go from animals to humans and then humans back to animals, and what would happen with the variants in the animals that could spill back again to us, that could be a real challenge. Well, the white-tailed deer, there are 25 million white-tailed deer in North America, well, the United States, but even more in all Canada too. And we have no way of, of understanding, but we have now confirmed that many of them have gotten infected from humans. And it's the very same virus we see in humans. And it's really uh, amazing to look at a, like the state of Iowa where a major study was done starting in April, right up through the end of October, they were looking at roadkill deer, they were looking at uh, game deer, et cetera. And they found that the frequency of the virus in the deer paralleled to the week, the number of cases in Iowa, meaning that there was some really close tie there. We can't figure out how, was it wastewater? You know, what, what could it be? And, and the thing that I was raising about that is how many other animal species right now are getting infected with this virus from us that we don't even know about but that they could, in fact, transmit the virus back to us. And it might be a variant that all along we were worried about a human variant, and now we have a new animal variant, and we just don't know. We have to acknowledge we don't know. Wow. Okay, that's a, that's a completely separate episode of Black Mirror. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's telling the truth again and telling people we've got to study these carefully, okay? Right. You know, maybe one day we'll be vaccinating our dogs and cats. We know the cats can get readily infected. Just last week, we had three major uh, uh, deaths in tigers in zoos uh, here in the United States that were really important that because they picked the virus up from humans. And so... You know, again, expanding the horizon here, we've got to ask ourselves, what is this doing to our animals and and what role they may play? Now, we have no evidence that dogs and cats are spreading it to humans, and I want to be really clear about that. So don't use that as an excuse not to get, you keep your dog or cat. But at the same time, this is the kind of thing we have to be honest with people and say, we need to look at this very carefully. Right, right. And at the end of the day, Look at the big picture, because I, th- I think you do that a lot yep. with your podcast. You take a big picture approach. You say, look, it's great that people are getting vaccinated, get, uh, getting their booster shots. Uh, you're promoting that. But there's still, as you say, a lot of human wood that this virus wants to burn through. And you're talking about other countries that have that don't have a vaccination rate even close to where uh, are we do in the states yep. or in Europe, and so you know, and and then that opens a can of worms with different variants in those countries, perhaps. 
So this is this is something that we're you know I mean I I I it's not that I want to have a part two just about COVID. I'd like to have you on again at some later date, just you know like a part two just for us to catch up because this does seem like something that is going to be going on. And, and you know what? And and I would be very willing to do that because this is an iterative process. You know when I say I know less in some ways about. COVID now than I did six months ago. That's true. But because we're learning so much, I'm realizing what we don't really know that we might've assumed before. And so again, it's about that transparency. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean you don't know that? Well, this is why, this is what we have, but this is what we're learning. And I think it's that honest and frequent communication, not sound bites, you know, not a political statement, but just not a talking point. Exactly. Just like the deer. What are we going to know about this in six months? Where are they getting this from? You right. know, are, are deer getting sick or what, what is it doing in terms of variants? Maybe there's very little variance in the deer. And, but that's a way to keep the public informed and just knowing about these issues. Uh, and I think that's where credibility comes from. People will trust you if in fact you tell them what you know and you don't know and how you got it. But when you don't know what you're going to do to find out and how you're going to tell them about it. And I think that's, that's what we need to do here. And that's why a show like yours can be so helpful because it's, 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 a, it's an update to people to say, okay, now I know I'm up to date. Right. Maybe two months from now, I need to get an update again. Well, I've seen so many people asking so many uh, really, really relevant, important questions. Uh, Vic, our producer, has been putting them up all throughout the show. Um, I do apologize that we haven't been able to get to all those questions because I've just been so enthralled with just talking about the questions that I had. I mean, we did have more questions that people have been writing in about. And perhaps if you're in the chat right now, you can put some more questions in the comments after this is done or get in touch with myself um, and the In the Trenches podcast personally, or get better yet, go start checking out uh, Dr. Michael Olsterholm's weekly report, COVID-19, and we can put up that uh, thumbnail one more time, and you can find that on YouTube. Um, Of course, not just now. You're going to watch till the end of the broadcast, and then you can go there. Um, I know that <laughs> I, I know that Mike has has a, a busy schedule today. You're always busy, so um, I will like I would like to have you on again very soon. Um, I unfortunately this I'll, week I'll make you I'll make you a deal. Okay, I'll deal? make you a deal right here in front of everybody. I will be happy to come on anytime you want. But I need a song from you to close one of my session, my episodes with. Okay, it's, it's coming up, so right? It's that, coming is up. That a fair tra- is that a fair trade? I know exactly the one. I think Kinga knows it. I think everybody in the RGA knows what song I'm going to send over for that one. Okay, um, this on. week we do not have a fan of the week because um, I thought this episode was very, very important. That I wanted to get as much time and talk in uh, with the doctor as possible. And I know your time is limited, so our fan of the week we will remain having uh, Jesse Camp and uh, next. Next week, or for our next week's guest, uh, we will have we will go back to another guitar rock and roller. That's Gus G from the Ozzy Osbourne band, formerly of. And um, I just I did see a comment that uh, Ozzy got the, the flu back in 1987 or 97 that lasted for four years. That could have just been. I don't know, him being sleepy. But uh, Gus G will be our guest uh, next week on In the Trenches. But we have had uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm. Um, I I know that uh, you end your podcast um, with like some sort of dedication and some sort of uh, uplifting thing. Do you yourself have any um, uplifting 
life advice to give or sort of just advice? Because people take advice yeah, from doctors yeah. um, to, to our listeners. You know, one of the things that I have found that has actually been helpful for me and one that I find is almost in a sense, you might say therapeutic without taking any drugs is when I have a moment and there is that opportunity or choice or potential to be kind versus damn it, be kind. I think that right now I have had situations where the other person was so surprised in a potential conflicting situation where you just exhibited some kindness that it changed the whole thing around. And sometimes we forget about that. And so, you know, I'm not naive. I don't think that the whole world is going to be perfect. But, you know, as I say each week on the podcast, you know, this week, go out of your way, do something to be kind to someone. And you're in the end, you'll get more out of it than than it costs you to do. You know, I think that that's kindness is one of those things that I have come to believe, the more you give away, the actual more you have defies the laws of gravity defies the laws of economics, give it away and you'll have more of it. So it's being kind. And as we head into the holidays, we head into the Thanksgiving weekend. Is there any other advice you can give our listeners uh, to what they should do and how they should protect themselves? Uh, you know, well? and, and feel empowered. You know, if you're someone who's at increased risk for having a serious episode with this, if you're infected and you may have only been partially vaccinated, not even having a booster, don't feel pressured into putting yourself into a high risk situation. Some families right now are almost making it like a debate, a war. I am not being vaccinated. I'm not going to, but we're all getting together. And, you know, some people feel somewhat intimidated by that, like they have to come. We all want to be together, but let's acknowledge families have had a history of challenge around the holidays going long before COVID, but don't let COVID become part of it. So if you feel like you're at risk, don't feel at all obligated to be there and feel empowered. And I know you want, we all want to be with loved ones. We want to be with friends and family, but I've seen far too many situations where people have actually been exposed at these intimate holiday gatherings because they felt the pressure to be there. If you're all vaccinated, you know, go for it. Have a great time. You know, I can't wait, in fact, for Thanksgiving and Christmas because my family are all vaccinated. And I'm going to celebrate that. And there's going to be a lot of hugging and so forth. But if you can't be in that situation, take care of yourself first. You're, you're the most important person to yourself. Never forget that. That is some great parting words, uh, Mike. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, like I said, if you want to find out more information, more facts, more numbers, uh, check out Dr. Michael Osterholm, the update COVID-19. You can check that out, right? We'll put the links on in the description of this episode. Um, what can I say? We're going to have you on again. We'll, we'll do, we'll do this. And I'm we'll, here. We're going to get through this. Me. We'll get more information. I love the fact I loved your honesty and I loved everybody, uh, being, you know, opinionated and, uh, passionate in the chat today. Um, again, if this is your first time watching the podcast, hit that subscribe button so you can watch more episodes. And, uh, you know what? Next week, you might hear my song on his podcast. How about that? Um, I will uh, say, like I always do, um, two parting words now because I'm going to borrow one from you, doctor. Uh, thanks again for being on. Make sure, folks, until next time, 
be kind, and of course, enjoy the ride. I'm Ryan Roxy. See ya. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby, give him his guitars back. Awesome. Awesome Thank job. Thank you very much. Well, hey, that was a great one. I think my audience really, really became your audience now. So, um, Thank you. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and you know, I'm, we're not online, so I say, I hope you understand how powerful your voice is because you, you bring a credibility, not as a scientist, but as somebody who thinks about things, okay? And wow. so I, I, I want to thank you because, you know what, by just allowing me to be here, it adds a whole different perspective to the voice. So I'm not trying to put a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, <laughs> but, you know, I hope you know that, you know, this was more than just a podcast for rockers. This yeah. really is a very important messaging opportunity. So thank you. Thank well, thank you, very you much. man.